Well, a lot of folks are out of town, which is normal for Labor Day weekend. So for those of you who are not heathen and you showed up, I want to thank you for being here. Uh, I do want to say a welcome to those at our Mill Creek campus, those who are watching online. And by the way, if you're watching online, you may think to yourself, you know, I, I don't, it's, it's so cool just to be able to get up and kind of chill and turn on my computer and just kind of watch the service online and kind of do what I want to do. This is a great example of why there's nothing like being there. Because today we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And if you're a guest of ours today, I had a couple of folks text me or email me last night, out of town folks. Hey, are you preaching today? And I said, well, yes and no, I'm, I am, but I'm not. Because this is, we do about four or five times a year. We focus on the Lord's Supper. We make it the emphasis. And you'll see kind of how we do that in just a moment. Before we get into this, let me go ahead and do something before I forget it. I'm beginning tomorrow, uh, next Sunday a nine-week series on a man who, uh, I didn't know this when I started doing my research, has more written about him than anybody else in the Old Testament and is the most quoted person in the New Testament. His name is David. And I've never done a study of the life of David. And I'm already six weeks into my preparation. I'm already six weeks down, about four or five weeks down, about five weeks down, five weeks into it. And we're calling it Life Lessons from a King. And I could ask you this question, I know the answer. If I said to you, how many of you would say you got it all together in your life? I mean, you're, you, you always, every day, 24-7, hit on all eight cylinders all the time. Nobody would say that. I wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that. Nobody would say that. And if there's ever anybody in the Scripture that we can study and learn so much from about so much that we face every single day, it's David. Because David faced everything. David knew what it was to be in the mountain of victory. He knew what it was to be in the valley of defeat. He knew what it was to be a man after God's own heart, and he knew what it was to be so far away from God, he couldn't see God with a telescope. Been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, owned the factory. And so we're going to learn, beginning next week, life lessons from a king. And I want to tell you, I have learned so much already about how, what do you do? Even a king messes up. Even a king fouls up. Even a king doesn't get it right. How do you handle it? What do you do? And I want to tell you, if there's any series you want to try to be a part of every single week, it will be this series on David, and I hope that you will be a part of it. Well, today we are focusing on the Lord's Supper, and uh, I want to do something very, very simple. This, these messages are, are really simple because, again, we focus on the Supper but I, I want to talk about three parts of our lives that, that we all have. I want to talk about the past. Then I want to skip the present and go to the future. And then I want to come back to the present, and you will see why. If you want to look on today, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we're going to throw these verses up on the screen. But I, I want to begin by, by sharing with you uh, kind of where we are and, and what we're looking at this morning. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a place called Corinth, and we've kind of been in that book really for the last couple of weeks uh, as, as the Lord would have it. We're back in it today. Corinth was a fascinating church. It, it, when you read the book of Corinth, it's, probably, it's really one of the most fascinating books. If you don't read the Bible, I haven't read it much, you ought to read 1 Corinthians. If you want to know what a Christian soap opera would look like, read 1 Corinthians, okay? It's got everything. It's got a guy sleeping with his stepmother 
It's got people getting drunk in church. I'm not, I'm not making this up. People getting drunk in church. You've got people babbling in, 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 in tongues, and it's causing a lot of confusion. You've got Christians suing Christians. I mean, it's, it is, I, I, I like to describe it this way. It's a fight where a church broke out. Okay, that's, that's what Corinth is. Well, Paul is, is dealing uh, in, in a letter that he wrote to this church that he founded. He's talking about uh, the Lord's Supper. And the reason he's talking about the Lord's Supper is really interesting. Evidently, you know, Paul met Jesus after Jesus had been crucified. Never met him in person. He met him in his resurrected body. And uh, evidently, there were certain things that Jesus directly, face-to-face, told Paul that he wanted Paul to know. And it's really fascinating that one of the things that he wanted Paul to know and know so much in detail, he gave him a blow-by-blow description, was what happened on the night that they took the Lord's Supper together. So I'm going to read just the first few verses, and we'll come back to the rest of them in just a moment. We're in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, all right? For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he's already telling Paul, Paul, you know, I know you're, you're new to the Christian faith, and, and you weren't around when, uh, you know, 20 years ago when all this took place. So I want you to know what happened, and I want you to know this is not something that was done just that one night, and we took kind of a Kodak picture, kind of a snapshot, and you pull the picture out. This is something I want you to do Every time you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. But I'm also telling you, this is something you're going to be doing time and time and time again. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, i.e., Paul, you will be doing this periodically in the church. And whenever you do it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, he says to Paul, Paul, I'm different from anybody who's ever lived. And, 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 and we know this today because when you read someone's biography uh, or you go uh, to, a, to one of the great um, uh, inter- uh, websites that's ever been uh, uh, invented uh, for great scholars, deep scholars, it's called Wikipedia. Uh, when you go to Wikipedia and you read uh, the biography of someone, you, they'll, they'll have it divided in, into, you know, they'll have a little bit about his birth, where he's born. They have a big section about his life and, or her life and his or her life and accomplishments and so forth. Then they'll have a little section about death. You know, they died of cancer. They died of a heart attack. They died here. They died there. Well, Jesus is totally different. Because when you read the biography of Jesus, the four biographies, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Two of them don't even mention the birth. One, you know, Matthew goes into detail. Luke goes into detail. Mark and John, they don't even mention his birth. They don't even talk about it. And yet, there's a great deal about his life, which you would expect. But what is really shocking, and I don't know of any biography written in the history of the planet that's like these biographies, one-third of the biography of Jesus is given over to his death. And, 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 and when you think about it, we're never, when, when we think about anybody today, we may think about how they died. We just don't think about the very fact that they did die. When we, when we think about people today, 
We, we think about them because of the life that they lived, because of the accomplishments that they had, because of the things that they were able to do, because of the good that they were able to, you know, produce. And yet, Jesus said to Paul, Paul, I want people to remember my death. I do want them to remember my life. And of course, once a year, we do remember his birth. But I want people to remember my death. Never, ever forget my death. So you have to ask the question, why? Why, why did the gospel writers give one-third of their, of their biographies over to his death? Why did Jesus make, make such a big deal about his death? Why did Jesus say, I want you to do something for me you'll never do for anyone else? Nobody that I know of ever comes together and has a meal to commemorate somebody's death. I, I remember, you know, I remember the day my mom died. I've, I, I know the date of my mom's death. I know the date of my dad's death. We don't have a big family meal at my house on the date that my dad died or the date that my mom died or the date that my, my father-in-law died. We don't, we don't have dates, meals commemorating that. Yet Jesus said, I want you to make such an emphasis on my death and I want you to remember it so much that I want you to actually come together and have a meal to remember my death. Why in the world is there such an emphasis on the death of Jesus? And I think it's because of a story that summarizes it beautifully of a man by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You may have never heard of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. If you're a believer and a Christian, you may have. In case you haven't, probably the greatest preacher who ever lived since the Apostle Paul. In my opinion, probably right below the Apostle Paul, Charles Haddon Spurgeon is the greatest preacher who ever lived. And if you don't know anything about him, Go to Wikipedia and look up Charles Haddon Spurgeon and read his biography. You'll see why. He was the founder of the mega church. He started pastoring when he was 19 years of old. 19 years old, he started pastoring. Before he was 21, he was preaching to over 6,000 people. He was so popular as a preacher that on Sunday nights, he had a Sunday night service. And listen to this. You could not get into the church if you were a Christian. It was only for non-believers. You could not get in. If you were a Christian, you couldn't come on. Sunday night was an evangelistic time for them. And he packed out the Metropolitan Tabernacle, 6,000 strong, standing room only, just an unbelievable, written more sermons, more sermons been published than anyone else. He had a problem with gout. Uh, it really kind of affected him all of his life. He died, I think, when he was 54 years of age. He had a retreat he would go to in South France to kind of try to recuperate and recover. And on one particular occasion, he didn't recover. He didn't make it. He was in the south of France. He was dying. His family was with him. And these were his last words. And this is why I think Jesus wanted us to focus on his death. His last words were these. Jesus died for me. I've, I've often thought, well, that's, those, those are great last words. Jesus died for me. Well, other people have died for other people. That's not all that unusual. Well, yes and no. Other people have given their lives to save the lives of other people in a physical sense, but only Jesus ever claimed to have died, not just for us physically, but to die for us spiritually. Only Jesus has ever claimed to have died for our sins. And the reason why Jesus died for our sins is not just to get us where we can be who we ought to be in the present, but also to get us ready for the future. Because when Jesus took the Lord's Supper, he made a statement to the disciples, and I'm sure like a lot of statements he made, they had no clue what he was talking about when he said it. 
But when he had the, when he, when he had the, the Lord's Supper, he said to them after the supper was over, he said, now, guys, you're going to be doing this over and over while I'm gone. I'm, I'm about to leave. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. They didn't believe it, didn't understand it. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to send back to my heavenly Father, and I'm going to be leaving you. Now, after I leave you, you're still going to do what we're doing right now. You're going to do it over and over and over and over and over, and you'll do it in remembrance of me. However, I will not take part in this again until we all are in the kingdom of God. So he said, what this is, is a dress rehearsal for what's going to happen in eternity. And you say, well, where is that going to happen and when? Well, now we're in Matthew, or Revelation chapter 19. And in Revelation chapter 19, we read these words. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride. Who's his bride? That's us. The church is the bride. Jesus is the groom. Church is the bride. So this is the, the wedding of the, Mary, of the Lamb and the bride. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. This is what Jesus was referring to 2,000 years ago when he said to those disciples then, and he says to disciples today, we're going to do this together. Not here on this earth, not here on this physical earth, but at the marriage supper of the Lamb, we're going to do this again, and I'll be at the head of the table. And here's the question that I raise. He says, we will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, for example, I, I've never been able to do it. It'd be kind of cool to do sometime. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I've never gotten to do and probably never will get to do, and that's okay, but uh, even though I've been in the Oval Office of the White House, I've been in the White House several times, and I've met uh, two presidents and kind of all that's cool, I never got to go to what they call a state dinner. You know, this, not state dinner, state dinner, okay? And you know what that is. I mean, that's, I mean, it's, it's really, I mean, it's, da, every, I mean, you've got to be in a who's who to get invited. And, and I've got some pastor friends that have been invited to a state dinner. I've never gotten invited. But the key is you don't get in without invitation. You may, be, you may be like this with the president. You may be like this with his wife. You may be best friends with his son or a daughter. But you don't get in unless you're invited. Same thing's true about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And the question that I always raise and, and ask myself and check myself over when I read that passage of Revelation is, hey, I've got the invitation. I, I have a chair I have a seat with my name on that seat. And my question to you very simply is this. Do you have a reservation? Do you have an invitation? And that brings us back to the present. We're going to wrap this up. So what happened in the past is Jesus has this supper. The bread represents his body. The juice represents his blood. He leaves that supper and he fulfills what happened at the supper. He became the sacrificial lamb. He dies on a cross. He's crucified. He sheds his blood. He pays for our sins. Three days later, he comes back. Now, watch this. 
What you do in the present today about what happened in the past will determine what happens in your future. So this is why this Lord's Supper is, I know sometimes you come and, 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 I, and I, if you're a visitor today or a guest and you, you know, man, I thought I was going to come hear you preach and I am preaching somewhat. I'm sorry to kind of disappoint you, but I hope in a way you're not disappointed because the greatest sermon ever preached is really the Lord's Supper and baptism. I can't do a better job than either one of those uh, beautiful events. But the reason this is so important is what we're about to do here is not just an empty ritual. It's not just another, oh, yeah, I've done this a thousand times. I know you say something, I take the bread. You take something, I drink the juice. We sing a hymn, we go out, and everybody has a happy Labor Day. Nope, that's a lot more than that. This is a dress rehearsal. This is going to happen in a much better way than we could ever do it, a much more magnificent way than we could do it, a much more glorious way than we could ever do it. It's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I will tell you this. There's never been a supper. There's never been a banquet. There's never been a meal. There's never been a celebration. There's never been a party. There's never been an event like the marriage supper of the Lamb. Of all the things I've ever gotten to do, and I've got to see a lot of things from, from in politics and sporting events and all that, put it all together. It can't compare. I sometimes wonder, man, what's it going to be like? I mean, think about it. If God himself's doing the cooking, the food's going to be great. So what is it going to be like? At the, I mean, can you just imagine how many will be at the table and how big a table that will be? I mean, who knows? Maybe you're sitting across from Paul. Maybe I'm sitting across from Peter. Maybe you're sitting across from Queen Esther. I mean, who knows where we're going to be sitting? It's just going to be an unbelievable event that you don't want to miss. But whether or not you will be there, whether or not you have an invitation, whether or not you have a reservation, it all depends on this. What you've done in the present about what happened in the past will determine what's going to happen to you in the future. So the question is real simple. Real easy. It's a yes or no question. Do you have an invitation and have you made a reservation for the marriage supper of the Lamb? Now, you say, well, how do I know? It's real easy. Make it real easy. If you go back, and, and I, want to, I want to put back up on the screen 1 Corinthians 11, if you go back where after Paul talks about what Jesus said about him to the Lord's Supper, then you go to verse 27. Now what Paul is doing is, Paul is saying, okay, in light of what Jesus said about the supper, let, let me kind of bring you up to speed and kind of tell you now how, how this needs to work in what we're about to do. So he says in verse 27, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, that is, died. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Now listen, Paul was uh, talking to two groups of people. Number one, he's saying, if you are a believer, don't walk into this building, because remember, they took the supper with, you know, with, with real bread, with real wine. So he said, don't come into here, don't come into the supper 
and sit here in church and drink so much wine you've already drunk before you take the supper. That's, that's taking the, 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 the supper unworthily. He said, number two, if you're not, if there's sin in your life, you're not right with God and you're not right with someone else. Unless you're willing to make that right, you may not can make it right this moment, but unless you're willing to make that right or you're going to make that right or you're, you're, you make sure to make it right, then you really shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. So what it is, it's an opportunity for believers to kind of do some soul searching and if, if necessary, take, take a spiritual shower and come clean before you take the supper, which is a great thing that needs to happen. But then what he also was talking to or he was also talking to was unbelievers. He was saying, don't you take the Lord's Supper. Don't you partake of this if you're not a part of this family, if you're not a part of the bride because you don't have the right to take it here because you don't have an invitation and a reservation to take it there. So the Lord's Supper actually accomplishes two things, hopefully. Number one, for a believer, it accomplishes the purpose of, hey, search yourself and make sure you're right before the Lord, before you take the Lord's Supper. If you're not right, get right. To the unbeliever, it says, if you've never trusted in the one that's, whose death we're celebrating today, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the, the, here's, here, here is the solution to that problem. Do not not take the Lord's Supper. That's not the solution. The solution is you do what Paul did, believing that Jesus died for your sins, believing that God raised him from the dead. You trust Christ. You receive Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. And I want us to give us the chance to do both of those things right now. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes, heads bowed and eyes closed, we're about in a moment to celebrate, believe it or not, it's hard to believe, you celebrate a death. We do. We celebrate the death of Jesus. Because apart from the death of Jesus, we have no life. Apart from the death of Jesus, we're in the darkness and have no light. But Jesus died for our sins. See, the bad news is we're sinners. That's why Jesus died. He didn't die of cancer. He didn't die of a heart attack. He didn't die of a stroke. He died because of our sins. It was our sins that nailed Jesus to the cross. The bad news is we are all sinners, and we're separated from God because God is perfect and we're not. The worst news is, and the Lord's Supper proves it, the worst news is there's nothing you can do to take care of your sin problem. Nothing. You can go to church. You can be baptized. You can give money to the poor. You, you, can, you can visit sick people in the hospital. You can visit prisoners in jail. You can, you can do everything you know to do to be the best person you know, to, you know to be. But at the end of the day, you will still be in your sin. There's nothing you can do to take care of your sin problem, which is why Jesus died. The Lord's Supper tells us, the bread tells us, the juice tells us, this is the only thing that will ever take care of of your sin problem. And the good news is that Jesus did die on the cross for our sins. He did give his body. He did shed his blood so that we might be saved. And to prove that his bread, that his body and his blood got the job done, to prove that he paid for our sins, God raised him from the dead. And then the best news is today, you can receive forgiveness of your sins. You can receive eternal life. Listen, listen. You can make your reservation today. 
you can get your invitation today to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if today you would say, I want to do that. I'd love to know that I've got a reservation. I'd love to know I've received my invitation. I would love to know that I have God's salvation. Then I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer. Now, you're not saved by saying a prayer. That doesn't save anybody. You're saved by the one you pray to. And if today you would say, I would like to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I'd like to be forgiven of my sins. I'd like to know that I'm right with God. I'd like to know I'm a part of the bride. I'd like to know that I now have a place at this table, and one day I'll have a place at that table. Then just pray this prayer with me right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I can't save myself. But I do believe that you shed your blood. I do believe that you gave your body. And I do believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And so, Lord Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. I trust you as my Savior. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I'll receive your gift of eternal life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me at either one of our campuses today, I want to ask you to do something. In your worship guide, there's what we call a connection card, connection point card. You can't miss it. It's a tear-off. Here's what I want you to do. Right now, I want you to do it. Right now. I'm not going to bother anybody. I want you to take a pen or a pencil. There should be one in the seat in front of you if you need one. I want you to take a pen or a pencil, and I want you to sign that card. I want you to give us some contact information. There's a box there at the bottom of that card that says, Today I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want you to check off that box right now. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to check off that box right now. There's a second box that says, I have decided to be biblically baptized. Now, if you check off the first box, you need to go ahead and check off the second box. Why do I need to do that? Because the very first step Jesus will lead you to take as your Lord and Savior is to be baptized. That's always step one in the Christian life. You get baptized. Why is that? Because Jesus wants you to acknowledge publicly what you've just done privately. And when people get baptized, you know what they're doing? They're saying, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and he is my Lord and Savior. So if you checked off the first box, you need to go ahead and check off the second box. Now, you may not have checked off the first box. You may say, I I don't need to do that. I don't need to, 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 to trust Christ. I have already done that. Well, then you need to be baptized if you haven't been. And you haven't been. No, I have not. Well, then you need to do that. You need to follow Christ in baptism. So you check off the second box. And then here's what I want you to do with that card. Once you've checked off those boxes, when the service is over at either one of our campuses, you will walk out into a lobby. There will be a person there. You'll see a table. It's called Connection Point. Can't miss Connection Point. Go to the table. Take your card. Give it to someone standing behind the table. They'll read the card. They'll see what box you've checked off. They'll know exactly what information that you need. 
They will give you that information. You'll be on your way out the door. We'll follow you later. That simple, that easy. Now, you're a believer. Say, I, I know the Lord. I've been baptized. Paul said, check yourself. Are you really ready to take the Lord's Supper? So right now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. What I did back in my office just a while ago. Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. If there's any wicked way in me, Lord, would you show me that? Would you cleanse me? Would you forgive me? Would you lead me in the way everlasting? So I'm asking you, is there anything between you and God that you need to get right today? Is there anything between you and someone else that you either need to get right or you're going to get right today? Then you confess that to the Lord. And then as I begin to lead us in this last closing prayer, I'm going to ask our ushers to come and they'll get ready for the supper. And then we'll go into that part of our service. Heavenly Father, it's always a very sobering time for a pastor to do what I'm doing today. And I don't take it lightly. This is not just another ho-hum deal to me. Every time that I take the supper in my own life, it's just incredible to me to know that I have a place at the table. And it's not because of anything I've done, Lord Jesus, it's because of everything that you have done. So Lord, I pray right now that maybe there are people that walked into this building today and they were not going to take the Lord's Supper because they were not a part of your family. They didn't have a place at the table. But now they do. Now they do because they've trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Lord, it may be there are people who came here today and they, they're believers, but they've not been right with you. They've had sin in their life. They've had sin against someone else, but they've, they've gotten that cleansed today. They've gotten that confessed and forgiven. So Lord, I pray it'll be a sweet time, a happy time, a joyful time, a celebratory time. And Lord Jesus, may you be honored by all that we're about to do now. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask, what I'm going to ask you to do is very simple. At every table, you'll see our tables here, we have uh, receptacles here. And what I'm going to simply ask you to do, and there's no rhyme or reason to it, I'm going to ask those of you who know the Lord and you've been saved to simply come, take one of, uh, one of the uh, uh, tools that we've given here, one of the things we've given you to be able to take the supper. You'll come and get it. You may want to just take a moment and say a prayer at the table. If you do, that's fine. Then I want you to go back to your seat. And once you have done that, then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And as you do it, do it in a spirit of prayer, in a spirit of meditation, a spirit of contemplation, and then we'll take the supper together, okay? So we'll just start section by section. You, you, you'll know how to do it. And just come and, just, and, and, and get your bread and your juice, and then you'll go back to your seat, and then we'll take the supper together.
I have to share with you a last little beautiful story. I got an email this morning when I got up. I had got an email. There's two young men that, uh, the young guy that goes to our church, his name is John. John has a friend named Sam. And back at the beginning of the summer, back in June, uh, John has been witnessing to Sam. Sam was basically an agnostic, didn't really believe much of anything, and uh, was just really having trouble believing that the gospel was really true. So I, I met with uh, John and Sam, and we talked for about an hour and, and began to share. And I began, they just had all kinds of questions, been asking questions. So we answered questions. And then um, just before I went on vacation in July, we had another meeting. And um, Sam came back, and just he just always bringing just had his cell phone out there, and he just had tons of questions. And, and I'd be answering all these questions. And I kept telling Sam, I'd say, Sam, listen. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to answer every question that you have. And I promise you, you're going to be able to, you, you will be able to find some questions. I'll have to say, I don't know the answer to that question. That's all right. But I said, you just need to understand at the end of the day, you've got to decide, was Jesus who he said he was? And did he do what he said he did? And if he did, he has written a check out in your name that says to Sam, eternal life, forgiveness of all of your sins. And all he wants you to do is cash that check. And he kept saying, it just can't be that simple. It just can't be that easy. Well, I'm going to tell you, I nearly came out of my socks this morning when I got this email and John said, Pastor, just wanted you to know, Sam has cashed the check and he wants to be baptized. So that's what this is all about. When you take the supper, all you, and I get chill bumps when I say this, like talking to you right now. All you're saying is, Lord, I didn't deserve to you to pay off my sin debt. I didn't deserve it. I was spiritually bankrupt, but you gave your body and you shed your blood. And what we're saying, we take this, this bread and we drink this juice is, Lord, thank you for writing out a check in my name. I've cashed it. Thank you for giving me an invitation and making a reservation. I have accepted it. So when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. You do this in remembrance of me. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for that precious body that was beaten and battered and broken and bruised for my sins. I love you for it. I love you like I love no other ever and ever. Amen. And then the scripture says, likewise, he took the cup. You know, I tell people all the time, people ask, you know, what do you, what do you evangelical Christians believe? I, here's what, I give them a simple answer. I say, well, make it real easy. We're people of the book. We believe the Bible's the word of God. And we're people of the blood. We believe the only way we're saved is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And likewise, he took the cup, saying, this cup, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And Lord Jesus, I do believe the only liquid ever given that can save anybody is not the waters of baptism, it's the blood of Jesus. And I thank you that your blood cleanses us from all sin. We bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.